0: McLeish here. Are episode number 40.
1: 40. 40, life begins at 40.
0: I know. So. Here we are another decade of episodes. Yeah.
1: We are we are just hitting our prime.
0: Yeah, but what's really scary about that is that we're going to hit the year mark soon and that's going to make me panic.
1: We are very close.
0: We are very close we are creeping closer to the year mark which is a little bit scary because it feels like we've only just started this
1: (laughs) absolutely i mean i've seen you maybe five times in person since we started this and i mean one of the most i feel like i saw you to discuss this relatively recently even though it's not
0: yeah Even though it's really not. That's mad. And also, any times we've seen each other in the interim since starting this, more often than not, it has been to do an escape room. So it's been very, very busy and it's not really afforded us the chance to like catch up.
1: Actually talk about life.
0: (laughs) Because we've been crawling through paintings and... Being chained to walls. Being chained to (laughs) walls. Yeah, crawling through paintings
1: and being chained to walls. That's kind of what we're into for a fun day out
0: that wasn't the first phrase i was going to expect to hear going into the escape from Was please can you chain yourself to this wall and there was a point we didn't think we were going to get you unchained from the wall
1: this is true because nobody cared about me enough everyone was like (laughs) we've cracked it three out of the four of us are free we may as well just crack on and leave chris behind (laughs) i've never felt so abandoned you and you and matt
0: wasn't like that at all
1: (laughs) you and mrs matt hung around so that was good
0: thank you we try we care deeply
1: you do Uh, it was
0: getting a bit stressful when we couldn't work out how to unchain you from the wall because you are the escape room master after all and we're just kind of there to (laughs) to add numbers
1: (laughs) (laughs) not at all i feel like not enough escape rooms actually allow you to just do it by yourself i feel like more should because I'd be there Fair. all the time.
0: Well, do you know what I forgot to ask you about last week? Because we get sidetracked with other nonsense chat. I don't. We spoke about it two episodes ago, but we never got the rundown of it. The fact that you've recorded these episodes means you didn't fall out a tree at Go Ape.
1: This is true! Yes! I'm not recording this from the comfort of a hospital bed. This is my own house. <laughs> yeah, so, turns out, I am not... In the slightest bothered by heights at all.
0: That's a good thing to discover.
1: Yeah. So I didn't know if I was scared of heights or not because I don't really encounter them all that often. Apart from living Uh at a height of six foot two at all times. (laughs) We had a little brief kind of 30 minute rundown of how to connect ourselves to wires and and all that kind of stuff. And then they were like, okay, cool. Bye. Bye zip on down and what? just yeah you are not escorted round the trees
0: oh i didn't know that
1: you are shown how to do it and then they're like cheery bye hope you don't fall oh no yeah so the three of us got our little training sesh and then they were like okay we've reached this flying fox attach yourself it's only about 100 meters long off you go <laughs> and then you get to the other side and then you're off, There's, I think there was six courses. You just went through one, two, three, four, five, six, very clearly marked out, I have to say, uh-huh, very nicely okay. done. Good. You always knew where you were heading. There were other people in our group, but we let them go quite far ahead. We kind of slowed ourselves at the beginning because it meant we never okay. had anyone at our back pushing us to get ah, cracking. Clever. We could take our clever. time. And yeah. yeah, we just fully took our time. We were there for about three hours. Literally wow. just going around the trees, all the platforms in the trees, doing zip wires. There was a thing called a Tarzan swing, which I was a big fan of. I wanted to do it multiple times. <laughs> where you connect yourself to a, a, a wire. Uh-huh. And then the other zip wires, you'd sit into it and then you'd slide. This one you had to yeah, yeah, jump yeah. and you would drop about <gasps> six foot and then it would catch you. So oh. much fun. And so this is how I know I'm no, I'm not actually scared of heights at all because that kind of thing... <laughs> I didn't think ooh, 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 before going. I was like, yeah. I'm attached, bye! And I would jump. <laughs> it was wild. Wow. So good. Was
0: anyone else scared of heights? Um yes. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I would be with I would be with them. <laughs> Which is fine.
1: There was kinda of, we were kind of the three stages of fear. So there was okay. one member of the party wasn't a fan of heights and so opted out of one thing, did very, very well, opted out of only one thing. Um because it was well just done. It was the drop, and the drop was too much, which is fine. Uh, then there was that the next member of the party who was a little scared of heights, was reluctant to try some things, but gave it a bash. Mm-hmm. And then there was me Fantastic. who was just like, Am I attached? I don't know. Let's just try, let's find <laughs> out. And just tossed myself off trees. Well, so that's definitely
0: one way to get your adrenaline kicks is to chuck yourself off a tree.
1: Yeah. But there were a few moments where just as I stepped off the tree onto some kind of swing-in platform where I was like, am I attached? Did I definitely do that? And I did every time. So we're good.
0: Well, I'm pleased that you remembered to attach yourself every time.
1: It was fun. It was really, really fun. But I could see why it would be f- terrifying for some people. I can yeah, fully understand that's that.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Because <laughs> you're literally oh wear-
1: wearing a harness with three wires and at any given uh-huh. time two of those wires are attached to something so you are very safe but you're also yeah. safe based on that you yourself have attached have attached yourself correctly if you know what i mean yeah it rests yeah. upon your own hands it's a good trust exercise for yourself as well
0: <laughs> that's definitely one way to try and get over your anxiety is trusting that you've furnished <laughs> yourself incorrectly yeah, true. true when your feet off the ground
1: it was thoroughly enjoyable, oh, and I highly recommend it. And yes, we survived. It was enjoyable. I will say this. Okay. If a person with bits and bobs, Okay. If they decide to go to do Go Ape, they have to wear something like jeans. Because there was one okay. man who was wearing ill-fitting joggers, and all the harness does <laughs> is push everything to the forefront. so my recommendation to anyone with bits and bobs they need to wear trousers that conceal the bits and bobs even when in a harness joggers won't cut it
0: who would have thought that you have to have a specific wardrobe to do go even
1: well they need to i feel like they should put it in the faqs because i
0: mean that would be fair
1: this, this man was there 100% was there with his daughters but the guy, I Anna. was like you're standing there talking to your daughters and they are not they cannot if they are not completely blind ignore the fact that they are being confronted with your own, with your bits and bobs and that was really something I uh, it really stuck with me, they're, it gave me a lot of things to think about
0: they're being confronted yes <laughs> <So, laughs> Uh, Honestly, so funny. (laughs) I honestly,
1: there needs to be some kind of PSA.
0: God, anything else exciting happening?
1: Nope. I mean, I know one of the gifts I am getting for my thirtieth birthday. (gasps) Because I was asked. Because
0: you asked for it, or because you found out about it? So my
1: mum had an idea, and she would. She wanted my input. So I have seen it. It is It is from the 1800s hello it is a reupholstered piano seat for my piano
0: Ooh, nice
1: and it is nice oh
0: i'm a fan of this
1: i will give more details and potentially pictures once i actually receive it for my 30th
0: oh a genuine antique
1: a genuine antique with a very nice chris mcleish-esque fabric you need to keep you'll need to keep the cats away from the fabric 100% that thing is getting shoved <laughs> so hard under my piano that they can't get to it or I'll put yeah I'll put a cushion I don't care about on top of it and just take it off for special occasions
0: absolutely because you don't want to find claw marks on your nice antique piano stool that would be very unfortunate this is true this is true they will get slaughtered
1: <laughs> Slaughtered with cuddles, but slaughtered. With cuddles.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. Well, that is very, very exciting. Yeah. Oh. But other
1: than that... Oh, oh, oh! Obviously, we are we have made plans to see each other on Sunday, and it is because vaccine number two is on the cards.
0: Whoop, whoop! So exciting. Oh, my God. So exciting. You're going to be so filled with chemicals.
1: choc foo of chems. <laughs> I really will be. My immune system is just going to be bouncing.
0: It's going to be so buzzed yeah. to have all those extra chemicals. How are you? I'm fine. Good. <laughs> Absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Just have been fighting with UCAS, which is a great laugh. Oh, it's always oh, 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 just for the yeah, the old. Reminded mm-hmm. me why I hate, <laughs> why I hated doing it in school. Brought all the memories back. And then it wouldn't let me add Glasgow University as a place of education. And I was like, why you let me add every other, there's every other (laughs) institution in Glasgow you're letting me add. Why wouldn't you? So I had to, I had to, because they don't do emails anymore, it's all on like social, contact us through social media. It just shows this is why i'm applying from a postgrad because i'm old (laughs) basically (laughs) and it's changed in the time that i've not had to use it and so i had to facebook messenger them and be like i can't add my university and i don't understand how it works and they were like okay you just do this this and this and i was like that was really simple i should have been able to work it out myself
1: There's nothing more disappointing Than when you find out something is actually extremely simple
0: Simple, and the thing that they told me to do Had kept popping up Like, t- to let me add like a what typed in But just didn't acknowledge it So I was very annoyed when I saw that And I was like, well, I spent Two and a half hours googling How do I add <laughs> in this to my UCAS form? Jeez. It was a wild time Let me tell you <laughs> So yeah. Um, oh, it's also my birthday next week. Woo!
1: Woo! That's exciting. Turning
0: turning 26. I'm still calling it my mid 20s. <laughs> that
1: <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm 29 and I'm still in my mid 20s. So don't you worry.
0: Okay, absolutely. Okay, we're absolutely fine then. Well, in that yeah. case, I'm in my early 20s. So that's true. You're practically um, a preteen. I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, do
1: you know what? I, do you know what? We've got new starts at work, and both said they thought I was about 23, 24.
0: <gasps> that is delightful. And I was well like... Well done. You, you've passed your
1: probation! <laughs> Two days in. <laughs> yeah, I really was like, this is... You guys can stick oh, around.
0: That must have... You must have made you so happy.
1: Yeah, especially because the big birthdays come... Or a big birthday coming up i've never really acknowledged big birthdays before it is indeed yeah. but this one feels quite threatening and i don't like it
0: <laughs> like it's waiting with a big baseball bat to get you once you're yeah you? it's gonna be like yeah.
1: <laughs> you're you're 30 now let me just make your knees hips and face fall <laughs> apart that's how i feel <laughs>
0: that's fair that's fair um did i ever tell you about the time in work that i really felt my age This is ridiculous. Tell me. So at the Royal one day, we had a lovely work experience girl join us and she was lovely and pleasant and very nice and was doing the job very well with us. And I went and did something and came back and our colleague that I was on with was looking at this young girl in utter horror. And I was like, what's happening? What's going on? And she turned and said to me, do you know that she, the work experience girl, was born in 2004? And I just uh, looked at her and I was like, I can remember that happening. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you were born then?
1: <laughs> that is so grim. <laughs> like,
0: do you know what I can specifically remember watching from New Year's Eve 2003 into 2004? 2004, 2004 was the King's Theatre centenary and there was a special 100 year anniversary program on New Year's Eve 2003, and I can vividly remember watching that.
1: That is, and she was not even born yet.
0: She was not even born. Well, it's what similarly
1: the hell? I still remember the the horror show that were the Millennium Bug adverts of them being like, "We are obviously oh, a massively yeah. technological people now." Um, when it turns to 2000 we don't know what's gonna happen and i was nine watching these adverts being like the world's gonna end i don't know these these are very threatening adverts i don't like them this this old woman sitting there and there's a bug inside her walls and it's trying to infiltrate her home i was very stressed about the prospect of a millennium, millennium bug i can't say millennium very easily
0: that's weird. that's like that episode of dinner ladies where she keeps saying it incorrectly Manelium. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh. Classic. Ficky wood.
0: In that instance, shall we skip on in for our question of the week? Let's do, do it. Do do do.
1: Question of the week.
0: You dab so elegantly. Thank you. Look at these lines. <laughs> Look at that. Look. You're like, there's not even any like bending of the wrist. It's do, just do, perfectly. S- oh.
1: Straight as a, well, straight as a, straight as a, I can't think of anything that's really straight.
0: Yep, there we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> straight as a, an arrow, got
0: it. I think you're going to like this one. Okay. Although I think, I'm wondering if you'll have a lot to pick from.
1: Okay, okay. I could be
0: wrong, and you could have nothing, but here okay. we be. So... If you could solve any true crime cold case what would it be?
1: Okay (laughs) let us think about this. So one of my favourite which I've spoken about before was the Elizabeth Short Black Dahlia murder. Absolutely. The theories surrounding that case are fascinating and I've watched a lot of theories about that and I would just like to know once and for all who did it? I really honest that one, and of course Jack the Ripper
0: Absolutely. would be a really yes. good one
1: to know the the solution of. Yeah, um, but the Elizabeth short one, I think, because it's in a, of a period of Hollywood that feels it was. I mean, it was a majorly corrupt period in Hollywood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it feels like Hollywood prime time, and there's something so cinematic about the whole elizabeth short case
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and some of the theories also play into it being just a fascinating story it's not just some random man it feels like it it is a surgeon or it is somebody with some kind of medical Mm -hmm. medical experience so the whole thing just feels like a a grand golden age hollywood film but there's no ending to the film i want to see the closing credits
0: no that's totally fair yeah. That's the annoying thing about cold cases.
1: <laughs> I know, but what about yourself? What about yourself?
0: I think I'm going to keep it quite close to home. When I say close to home, I mean Glasgow, and I, I think it's got to be Bible John.
1: That is a good one. That is a good one. We haven't covered Bible John yet.
0: We haven't yet. Mm. Mainly because it feels like it's still very recent, even though it's not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but also just so big. It feels like there's so much to it. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that is just brutal, horrible, what happened to those women. But it's just fascinating because he was there and then he wasn't. So what happened? Do you know what I mean? It's not like he went away and came back, and they, like they just stopped. Yeah. Like, why is that? What? Yeah. It's a good thing.
1: Fantastic <laughs> <stopped>. thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: a good thing that they stopped, but I just find that so so bizarre. That, and then and then when you hear all these eyewitness accounts about them um, and. People that, like, interacted with him and didn't have a clue. The fact we don't even know his real name. Like, I don't know if there ever has been a formal name put to him. But that's what everybody knows him by. I just find it very intriguing. And there was a point when somebody was very much in the frame for being it years yeah. and years and years later. Um, but that didn't come to any conviction. Yeah, it's just very strange. It's like a proper kind of like bogeyman style. Yeah. Story.
1: Like, is he still around? Is he floating about?
0: Yeah. Do you know. What I mean, that's creepy. <laughs> that's really scary.
1: Definitely a case we have to cover at some point.
0: Definitely, that might have to be a whole episode.
1: Yeah, a combined
0: effort. One, because there's a lot of grown to cover on that one yeah for sure but yes of course and Jack choice, would
1: be a good one as well they're probably relatively universal for the people who are fans of cold cases and, and uh, yeah. conspiracy theories i feel like they're probably two common choices for that question tell us um tell us what your favorite ones that you'd like to get solved are because I would love to deep dive into cases I'm maybe not so familiar oh, with.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, that would provide us with good material if anyone has any suggestions. Yeah, 100%. percent always open to suggestions.
1: Please do. Uh, well, in terms of stories, I'm first.
0: You are first! Ho <laughs> ho!
1: Okay, Woo! well. Six weeks before her 12th birthday, on Saturday the 23rd of February, 1957... Moira Anderson left her grandmother's house in Coatbridge to buy some butter on a cold and bitter snowy Saturday evening. She hasn't been seen since.
0: Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Do I know that name? Don't know if I do.
1: Uh, So Moira's dad was a local to Coatbridge, while her mum came from Fife. Moira was one of three girls. She had an older sister called Janet and a younger sister called Marjorie. All were dearly loved and close to the extended family. Moira was never regarded by anyone who knew her as a troubled runaway, and she was looking very much to starting high school. Good. The weather in Coatbridge, the weekend of her disappearance, was dreadful, with a blizzard sweeping in, with a blizzard sweeping in. But as she braved the streets with an important errand to run, Moira was wrapped up in her navy school coat and a knitted hat. She was a petite, pretty girl with fair hair and blue eyes, considered something of a tomboy who loved little more than swimming and playing marbles. Simpler times, Hannah Brown. Simpler times. Simpler times. I loved my Simpler marbles times. when I was wee.
0: That's I, fair. Did you, I...
1: <laughs> I wasn't born in the 1940s, but I did love a marble.
0: That's fair. I'm pretty sure our primary school got to a point they banned us from bringing in marbles because, you know, health and safety.
1: They're a slip and slide waiting to happen.
0: Slip and slide, or you got that one child that stuck them up their nose, you know.
1: Oh, that's true. That is true. There's always one. <laughs> There's always one. It's true. But I mean, that child will stick anything up their nose.
0: True, exactly. It doesn't it's have th- to be th- th- yeah.
1: spherical. It can be long. It can be. Yep. It could be alive. I'm pretty sure someone's probably tried sticking a stick injected yep. up their nose.
0: <laughs> yep. Um, that's fair.
1: But uh, do you know this little girl looks a little bit like nurse? Oh, her name is completely gone. Cynthia. From oh, call okay. the midwife. From she call had midwife. the kind of the kind the kind of shoulder length, kind of very straight hair. Oh. And looked looked a little bit like nurse Cynthia. Very Aww, cute. Oh, Very cute. The co-op in Laird Street was a short distance away from Moira's grand's house. She was sent by her uncle, estimating that she could make it before the closing of the shop. (laughs) I meant to say before the shop closed. Later, when questioned if they had seen Moira, co-op staff said they had not closed early due to the storm, and Moira hadn't been seen in the shop. This later, however, was confirmed to be untrue. Okay. Uh, It turns out that the shop was closed, so when Moira arrived, she wouldn't have been able to get in. So I think the shop okay. tried to cover their own back by saying they were still open, didn't see her. But actually...
0: They were shut. Okay. They were shut.
1: So she was on the streets with nowhere to go. No good. Hours very quickly turned to days as the people of Cotebridge, shaken by the mysterious disappearance of a little 11-year-old girl, searched and searched, but not a trace could be found. Nasty rumours circulated at the time by some people that suggested that she was a handful. And had actually run off to London. But there is no truth in these insinuations. She was 11. It's unlikely she would have known how to get to London. (laughs) So she didn't. She didn't run away to London. Okay. Moira's family sadly never saw her again. And for many years, it seemed likely that no one would ever know what had happened to her. Locals criticised the efforts of the police. And in the absence of hard evidence, suspicion fell, as it often does, to the family. This Mm -hmm. is completely unfair. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest her family had anything to do with anything. But it's what happens, sadly. Now, I say that there is no hard evidence, but there was, in fact, one lead that the police failed to follow up on. Witnesses had seen Moira boarding a local Baxter's bus. Upon finding the co-op closed, Moira decided to hop on a bus to ride to meet up with her cousins to go to the regal 5pm film show in Coatbridge Town Centre instead of returning immediately to her grand's house. Had the detectives followed up on this properly, they would have discovered that the driver of that very bus was Alexander Gartshore. He was a man who at the time was on bail facing charges of raping his children's 17-year-old babysitter.
0: Oh, no.
1: So, yes, let me just leave that with you for a while. We'll get into it a bit later on. But they were given this lead by people who saw her on the bus, and nobody knew this for a long time because nobody came forward to say, oh, I saw her on a bus. Um. Gardshore Shore was e- so frustrating. It really is frustrating. Gardshore oh. was a Freemason in a lodge where many local policemen were also said to be members and for a very long time had been suspected of being a flasher in local parks. <clears throat> so he had a reputation and potentially was pals with some of these policemen who were members of the same, free, same Freemason club. But oh. who's to say? On the 23rd of January, 1957, he had been charged with, quote, having carnal knowledge of a minor and other offences of a sexual nature, but was able to return to his job whilst out on this bail. It was February okay. when Moira went missing. And in April, Gartshaw was convicted and sentenced to 18 months in prison for the offences committed against the babysitter. So he's a bad man. He's recognised as a bad yes. man. He's put in jail for being a bad man. For doing bad man things. And this just isn't covered by the police at the time at all.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) How can you get it so wrong? So
1: wrong. He wasn't questioned by the police when Moira vanished. Despite knowing that he was the last person to see her alive, he wasn't even considered a suspect at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. After... Oh no, another failing of the police work was that Moira's best friend Elizabeth, who had been playing with Moira just prior to the shopping errand and before the snow worsened, was also not contacted at all. And she may well have had additional information that could have helped when the disappearance was first reported.
0: What the hell? So
1: another complete failing on the part of the police.
0: See, it feels like a little too... Like, one time is a mistake, two times is a pattern. And 100%. It's looking like a little pattern is developing right now. Yes. What?
1: All they did Ugh. was look at the parents and go, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh, and didn't actually consider the people who were genuine suspects or could be genuine witnesses that could help. <sighs> now, it wasn't until Gartshore's estranged daughter... Sandra Brown, discovered this terrible family secret that the search for the truth really began. Recalling events in her book, Where There Is Evil, Sandra describes how in 1992 she confronted her dad about his failings as a father. To her astonishment, he told her that his own father, quote, wouldn't forgive me for Moira Anderson. Grandpa was always convinced I'd done it, He told his daughter he said to me to tell the police where i'd put the wee lassie i was the driver of the bus the day she went missing i told grandpa i didn't even know her but she got on my bus in all the snow i was the last to speak to her i was the last person to see her shooketh to the very core by this very conversation the suspected she and suspecting that she now knew the killer Sandra began a long campaign to bring her own father to justice.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't what see you a gal. going this way.
1: <laughs> what a gal. Sandra. I'm going to write a song for Sandra because she is a gal. <laughs> when interviewed by the Polis in 1992, Garchor claimed that Moira had boarded his bus to buy a surprise birthday card for her mother at Woolworths. Now, this revelation is Intriguing. Because indeed it was Maisie Anderson's 40th birthday the day after her daughter disappeared, but how would Shore have known that if he didn't speak to her as he so claimed? Oh. Yes. Detectives felt it gave credibility to the case against their suspect, placing Moira on the bus and hinting, hinting that she knew the driver well despite his denials. Nonetheless, They concluded that there was not enough evidence to charge Gartshore and he died in 2006. Great. Now, are you feeling a little bit warm tonight after your your spin class? Because I have just the thing to send chills up your spine and up your armpits. Just before her father died, Sandra showed him a photo of Moira. And although he stopped short of confessing, He did say that Moira had, quote, been too bonny for her own good.
0: Uh, Gross! It's gross. Oh, no. Ew. Yep,
1: yep, yep. yep. But then he died, so...
0: Uh,
1: uh, Inconvenient. Inconvenient. Recently, however... The case was given new impetus as police and prosecutors from Scotland's cold case unit exhumed a grave in Old Monkland Cemetery, where a friend of Gartshore had been buried around about the time that Moira disappeared. The theory that they had was that Gartshore used the funeral to sneakily shift Moira from a ditch or wherever it was that he'd hid her, hidden her and hide mm-hmm. her where nobody would think of looking—a graveyard. Moira's remains were unfortunately not found in the plot but the case gained widespread media coverage and two new witnesses came forward who up to this point were completely unaware that there was a decade old case concerning this Mm -hmm. little girl I found it a little suspicious that they didn't come forward before now but according to the Crown Office both witnesses had very credible reasons for having not spoken before Okay. The first witness recalled how, as a little girl in Coatbridge, Gartshore had flashed her and Moira in a local park in the summer of nineteen sixty nineteen fifty six, and had even called Moira by her name. So once again, can't pull the wool over our eyes, Mister. We know you know Moira. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Even more importantly, the second witness stated that late in the afternoon on the 23rd of February, 1957, near the Carnbro bus terminus, he had seen a man dragging a young girl by the arms and he identified the girl as Moira Anderson and identified the man as Gartshore. So here's the thing. Okay. The Crown Office says that they gave reasonable excuses as for not coming forward before now i don't uh-huh. think there's any reasonable excuse to see a man in a bus driver's uniform dragging a child that is most likely not his own by the yeah. arm yeah i find it very very strange
0: I'd, yeah yeah i'd be intrigued as to know what the credible reason is but yeah, you'd think most people would go, ah, that looks a bit dodgy, that. I maybe should tell somebody.
1: 100%.
0: I mean, especially if you subsequently heard that a child had gone missing, you'd maybe go, hmm.
1: Exactly. So. So. If you're listening, whoever this is, go back to 1957 and tell them quicker. Yeah. That's what I say. Another newer revelation came from Garchow's cousin jim clark he came forward to say that gart shore had actually admitted to the murder to his father Sani. that's a plot twist mm-hmm. so jim who at the time of coming forward was 73 uh, is from glasgow and he said quote and this is a long quote so just bear with me that's quite it, all right it must be nearly 50 years since my own father told me in confidence that his brother-in-law, Sani Gartshore, had told him that his son was responsible for Moira. He hadn't dragged his son to the police station because of what it would have done to his wife and nothing could have brought Moira back. I felt it wasn't my secret to share for many years and I don't know where her body was hidden so to some extent I didn't feel I could help that much. But as you get older, you start to think about your own mortality. And I thought I should share what I knew. He was a few years older than me. I called him uncle, even though we were cousins. My dad would never have shared this if it wasn't true. I've told police what I know. I want her to be found so that she can be laid to rest. Jim, it's too (laughs) late. Her family are dead. They don't. Sorry, I'm very loud because I'm passionate.
0: No, quite right too. Yes. You, you, oh, you can't say that. You can't say, oh, there was no point because I couldn't help. For all they could have known, if the family were still alive, could have still thought she was out there somewhere.
1: 100%. They might have lived the rest of their life in hope that Moira would come back.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And that's almost in a sense sadder because they never found out the truth
0: Uh, but anyway
1: jim i'm not going to hold it against you but really next time you know a big secret like this just come forward
0: yeah it'll do everyone the world a good
1: his deathbed confessions are going to be wild (laughs) anyway so the search for moira remains very much alive and in the past year, four people have come forward with more information for the first time. Moira's sister Janet lives in Sydney, Australia, and she said quote, after sixty-four years, it is still the feeling of not knowing that causes so much pain. Again, Jim come on. Janet needed your your confession much sooner.
0: That's such a shame. That must be so horrible.
1: Yeah. So that is uh, Gartshore's dad knew, Mm -hmm. Gartshore's Mm -hmm. brother knew, and Gartshore's cousin knew. So that's three people who knew that he had admitted to it who didn't say anything. And that is so infuriating. I've never had someone (laughs) in my family murder someone that I'm aware of. But if I got told they did, I maybe would have (laughs) done something about it. Unless Did it you just was... say
0: you might do something about it?
1: Well, if it was Thea, I wouldn't want to grass her up. <laughs> She's only two. She's too young. Janet continues. My mother and father okay. were never the same after we lost Moira. If someone had brought her home and we, were, we had been able to give her a Christian burial, it wouldn't have been quite so hard. Mm-hmm. And I know that Janet ended up calling her own daughter Moira as well, as a little tribute. Oh. Police Scotland Assistant Chief Constable Pat Campbell said this continues as a live investigation and I appeal to the public for information. No matter how insignificant this information may be, it could be vital in our inquiries. Any information given will be investigated thoroughly. Now let's just briefly talk about Sandra Brown again. So, okay. Sandra insisted that a dreadful miscarriage of justice had been uh, out... been carried out at the time, stressing that the original police investigation had been fatally flawed and declared that her father had been a pedophile and part of an organized ring. Sandra questioned why Moira was still technically considered a missing person, which of course then meant that proper resources hadn't really been given to her case because they weren't treating it mm-hmm. as a murder. Mm-hmm. After years of relentless questioning by Sandra, Moira's case was upgraded at long last to a murder inquiry in 2012. It became one of the first to be reviewed by the newly established Cold Case Unit, and thanks to the sheer persistence of the Cold Case Unit of Police of Scotland, there have been several breakthroughs in Moira's case even recently. Publicity has produced more witnesses with credible evidence, so much so that in 2014, the Scottish Crown Office issued a statement that had he still been alive, Alexander Gartshore would have been indicted for the abduction and murder of moira anderson
0: wow so they must have like legit stuff
1: yeah for sure i couldn't find any of it in the public domain but yeah yeah.
0: for it to like hold up in court wow
1: and this comes from his own daughter she was like no Stuffy, you you might be my dad but see this is it sandra knew what to do that's going to be the line absolutely the the opening line of that (laughs) song i'm writing for her um (laughs) And I will wrap up by saying if Sandra hadn't already been an incredible hero in this story, Absolutely. She also set up the Moira Anderson Foundation in 2000 as a legacy to Moira Anderson and her family who never learned the truth. It, provide, mm-hmm. it provides a safe place with support for children and adults affected by childhood sexual abuse. They offer individual care and support to survivors of childhood sexual abuse and their families and seek to lessen the impact of trauma in their lives. They raise awareness Mm -hmm. of sexual abuse, particularly in children, and build trust with survivors and offer a range of therapeutic services in a safe and caring environment, all in the name of Moira Anderson, who to this day has still not been found. And that is the story of the cold case of Moira Anderson.
0: Oh, Poor somebody find her!
1: I know. Somebody they've, find her. They've done things like they've checked. I want to say canals. I don't know if it is a canal, but there's water, bodies of water near okay. Coatbridge. They've searched those. They've done obviously the graveyard check. Lots of places have come yeah. up in their investigations, but they just haven't had any success with finding her.
0: Oh, yeah. That's so horrible. I mean, that's good on Sandra. One hundred percent. It's so so annoying that he died. Basically, the fact that they did get enough evidence probably sounds like to convict, Mm -hmm. Um, and you might have eventually found out. But you, the fact that it was admitted to, and nobody thought to pass on the message.
1: I know, and the thing (laughs) is as well, he in his life served eighteen months for raping a babysitter who was 17 but he also had allegations made by his um by some relatives cousins of moira yeah came forward as well to say that he was a horrendous paedophile and nothing was ever done about that either he served a total of Mm. 18 months for what was probably a list as long as your arm of sexual abuse he just never did anything, he never served any time for it.
0: Oh, it's so frustrating, it's so annoying. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's nice that I suppose the foundation has come out of that and that it is providing a support network because it is a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. And these survivors do need support, um, which is so that's good that something nice kind of yeah has come out of it if you get what i mean yeah 100 um, but it's just horrible that the family remain the remaining family still don't know yeah and might never know which is totally. horrible
1: there was no mention of her other sister marjorie in my research so mm-hmm. i don't know if she's still alive but janet is still alive in australia and mm. it would be nice that for her to hear what actually happened
0: um, exactly, because it's, it's that it's that closure thing. And you must, you must. I can just imagine you being so angry once you finally get, if Police Scotland came back to you and were like, oh yeah, these people came forward and we would have had enough
1: yeah, evidence. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But, like, that's just so frustrating. I mean, good on Police Scotland for eventually finding something. Yeah. After buggering it up epically back mm-hmm. when it happened <laughs> um but yeah that's really sad poor moira
1: but also the other thing that i think about is the guilt that certain parties must feel so it was her uncle that sent her to the shop
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: she was meant to be meeting her cousins yeah and then didn't show up so they might feel guilty um the, the people working in the co-op probably tried to cover their tracks because they felt horrendously guilty yeah. Um. There's a whole screed of people within the story who must just feel awful about it.
0: Sending a child down the road to the shops would not have been of any issue back in the 1950s. 100%. It was very much the done thing.
1: 100%. Very much the
0: done thing. You're sending your child out thinking they will be safe because probably nine times out of ten they were yeah. back in the totally. 50s. Totally. It wouldn't. So that must have been... Horrible for yeah. such a normal thing to take such a sinister turn.
1: So, anyway, that is the tragic story that is almost impossible to try and crack any kind of joke about.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's uh, That's fair though. Yeah.
0: Mine's isn't really as tragic as that, but let's just crack on. Let's just do it. Let's just crack take it on. Take us home. This is a, a slight palate cleanse. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> This is Uh, the Lemon Sorbet to Murder. Absolutely. So, uh, let's just hit straight on in with it this week. So, there is a persistent piece of music present in Scottish culture nowadays, and it's not exactly seen as some Celtic lament of old. Instead, this song heralds the end of a good night, be it party or celebration, and in a somewhat bizarre ritual, all guests, both sober and wasted, must gather in a circle and sing this little tune. And no, we're not talking about Old Lang Syne. Instead, we're going to be taking the high roads and the low roads, as today we'll be exploring the composition of classic Scottish song, Loch Lomond hey you take <laughs> the high la, 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 la. yes thank you for that <laughs> no
1: problem I sang this now, this pal- very year
0: did in, you? yeah
1: for a Burns Night thing an online Aww, Burns Night Oh, how
0: lovely yeah. how apt then yes pals you've not known fear like being dragged in and out of a circle at the end of a party by your drunk relatives <laughs> a new year's party (laughs) to loch lomans you it's genuinely quite terrifying i let me tell you do
1: not envy the smaller people in the world absolutely children smaller (laughs) adults honestly because i mean i am tall may have mentioned it before but getting weaked about it feels vicious (laughs) It feels like you're going about 25 miles an hour, so it must feel horrendous for people whose little legs get taken off the ground.
0: (laughs) It's so true. It really does feel like you're being dragged at high speeds. It's quite scary. Although formerly known as the Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond, that's its full name, it is generally just referred to as simply Loch Lomond. That's what everybody knows it by. Thanks. So this song has been recorded by artists such as Noel Coward. Who knew um, has had a classical music arrangement done by Ralph Vaughan Williams. Rock band ACDC have covered it. And it's perhaps most famously known as being performed by Scottish band Runrig. Mm-hmm. And this is generally the version you'll find drunk Scottish people running in and out of a circle to. Yeah. It's quite the scene. It starts off quite sad, then it gets kind of like quite rocky. And then by the end, everyone's very oh, right. Riled up, basically, yeah. Yeah. It's quite, it's it's a sight to behold. So the titular lock is situated on the west coast of Scotland, and it is the largest inland stretch of water in Britain, according to their website. I (laughs) knew
1: that only because it was a question in one of my quizzes.
0: Oh, I think I vaguely remember that, and I think I got it wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was a while back. It was a while back. It
0: was a while ago. It was a while ago. (laughs) So it's believed that the area in which the body of water now sits Was carved out during the latter years of the Ice Age
1: (gasps) Chilly, chilly times
0: Absolutely So Loch Lomond, the place Is also generally used nowadays as just a shorthand for Scotland, quote unquote In that it's as in like Scotland the brand Rather than in Scotland the place If you get what I mean
1: Okay, yes.
0: Because it's like a romantic, wind-swept place where a body of water is secluded amongst a wild, untamed landscape. So it's very much kind of like rugged and old and... It is stunning. Everyone's dancing about in kilts. Mm. I've never been.
1: <laughs> you are kidding. It's literally I've... 40 minutes in the car. <laughs>
0: I don't drive, okay? <laughs>
1: I know. I'll take you. We'll go to Lass. It's Thank so nice. Thank you.
0: I think the closest that I've got to is Baloch. I believe the town of Baloch sits on it or quite near it. And I've been mm-hmm. there a couple of times when I was very young, but I've never actually like seen it.
1: <laughs> like been to the water. Yeah, I get you. I've never been to the water. so. But well, also, if ever you fancy a hill climb, we could go to Conic Hill because it's Very, very high, very tiring, but at the top you get a view of Loch Lomond and it's beautiful.
0: We might just have to add that to the road trip list. We've got a hell of a list going on here right now. One heck of a list. But yes, it is is close. (laughs) You're not wrong. So, just whom is the author of this song? Loch Lomond first appears in Vocal Melodies of Scotland, which was a work first published in 1841. It is that old. Right. The melody is believed to have been derived from other Sc- Scottish folk songs although the exact source of the lyrics is unknown. But let's skip a forward a few years however to the year skip a forward to the year, a a <laughs> to, um, the year of our lord 1876. Andrew Lang, born 1844 and died in 1912, and no, he wasn't on the Titanic. I did check that. <laughs> you
1: can never be too sure.
0: You can never be too sure with 1912. Scottish poet, writer, and novelist writes a poem titled The Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond. Not only was he an avid collector and publisher of fairy tales, Ooh. which was very intriguing, mm-hmm. yeah, He compiled a lot of, like, the sort of Brothers Grimm fairy tales and sort of mainland Europe. Very interesting. I'd never heard of this man.
1: Not that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Here's just a fleeting few of his other works. And for the regular listener, you might just see a little pattern emerge. So you have The Mystery of Mary Stuart in 1901 writes a book about Charles Edward Stewart in 1897. He edits the poems and songs of Robert Burns in 1896 and authors old friends' essays in epistole, Parody, in 1890. So this latter work is actually considered an early example of a crossover work mm. where characters from different usually fictionalised, universes meet. So Lang's work contains characters from Northanger Abbey, which is a novel by Jane Austen, which satirises Gothic fiction, and a little novel called Jane Eyre by someone called Charlotte Bronte. That's fun. I love that. Isn't that that wild? (laughs) He's written all that stuff that's vaguely connected to this podcast. I love Love that.
1: The original Into the Woods as well. I love a crossover.
0: Absolutely, see, exactly. He was just a pioneer Mm -hmm. and he was a fairy tale. See, it's all coming together. Yeah. So Lang's poem retains what we know as the song chorus with a few adjustments, and the chorus goes as such. In case there's anybody out there that doesn't know it. (laughs) Uh, So this is going to sound very strange, spoken instead of sung. So it goes. You'll take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland for you, where me and my true love will never meet again on the bonny bonny banks of Loch Lomond. Lang's poem was published with a subtitle. Something significant to its original composition. A year. 1746. What happened in 1746? Or should I say, what failed? in 1746 the rebellion Jacobite Awee. Awee. get your white roses out again pals as we're heading on back to the last pitch battle on British soil so Loch Lomond is actually attributed to the failed Jacobite uprising of 1745 Prince Charles Edward Stuart <laughs> botched attempt to reclaim the British throne, it culminating in the deaths of hundreds of Jacobites at the Battle of Culloden. See episode thirteen if you haven't already. I'm sure it's thirteen. I didn't write it down, but I think it's thirteen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember roughly what the stories are up to about twelve, and from then on, that's it's fair.
0: Yeah, they get a bit bloody after. <laughs> yeah. So it has been suggested that the lyrics to the song come from a soldier that was being held captive at Carlisle. The Jacobite army, led by Stuart, did manage to cross into England during the uprising, reaching Carlisle on the 10th of November, 1745. And they did get as far as Derby before the decision was taken to retreat. English support for the Jacobites was low. Uh, There was no sign of any troops arriving from France to act as reinforcements. And the combined forces of Cumberland and Wade were fast approaching. So they had to get out of there. The Jacobite army crossed back into Scotland on the 20th of December, and Stuart leaves a garrison of 400 men at Carlisle Castle. The Duke of Cumberland, later, be, later to be given the subriquet The Butcher, was a lovely man, eventually yeah. reaches the town, retaking the castle, and executes 31 Jacobites on the streets of Carlisle 10 days later. Hence the name. <laughs>
1: yeah, makes sense. Seems legit.
0: Makes sense.
1: It wasn't just a profession for those people selling meats.
0: No. So Lochlomond is associated with a nameless Jacobite soldier languishing over his fate. Some have believed him to be one of the captured soldiers at Carlisle. Others have believed him to have been captured post Battle of Culloden and taken to Carlisle Castle as a prisoner. The song's melody is actually used as a musical hook in an episode of Outlander. Just bringing it back to Outlander, you know. (laughs) So, in season one, episode two, Castle Leoch, heroine Claire, having travelled back to the 18th century, contemplates having to reconcile history she has only read in books as a real living present. The first and second season, which is the first and second book, in Diana Gabaldon's series, explores the political climate of Scotland at the time and the rising support of the Jacobite cause. One could also argue its effectiveness of portraying Scotland, the brand, mm-hmm. as it's the first time the audience sees the environment in which the story is going to be set, and it generally helps paint a picture of the romantic, with a capital R, wild landscape. Yeah, And it is quite obvious, because when it pops up, you go, oh, there's Loch Lomond. Yeah. There's Scotland. So So, it does work. So the song's narrator is speaking to a fellow prisoner, (laughs) one of them awaiting release, the other facing certain execution. In the song, the narrator recalls the natural beauty of the loch, the natural wonders of the greenery and the mountains in the expansive open space. It also plays as a lament, as there's a general kind of solemn feel laced throughout. You wouldn't know that from (laughs) quite a lot of the versions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very different vibe. Absolutely. Very different vibe. So let's take another little look at that infamous chorus, particularly the first two lines. You'll take the high road and I'll take the low road, and I'll be in Scotland before you. Our narrator is explaining that his fellow prisoner will return to their homeland alive, whereas he will be forced to return only in spirit. The lyric also alludes to Celtic mythology, particularly the separate paths the living and the dead must take. This belief states that should a Scot die in foreign land, then they will take the, quote, low road home. Said road... The route for the souls of the dead is carved out by fairies, where they will ensure the soul makes it back home safely.
1: That is so like weirdly adorable. Yeah, it's quite it's sad, but like it's fitting. It
0: kind of like warms your heart simultaneously that he's going to get home exactly in some form. Um, So the quote high road. The road of the living is the route the surviving soldier will take. But why will the dead soldier make it to Scotland before the living one?
1: Less traffic.
0: Less traffic. You're absolutely right. I'm not even kidding. Oh, no!
1: Because the
0: high high road to Loch Lomond will require travelling over hills and mountains, therefore requiring more effort and will be incredibly time-consuming. And the soul of the executed soldier will make it home first because he's following the kind of the spirit path provided for him. So there you go. There you go.
1: Sometimes a joke's not really a joke.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really? (laughs) You were spot on there. Thank you. And because this was quite a short little snigget about, I thought I'd just, what do you call that bit of a mind map? (laughs) You Uh, know what I mean? Like an an offshoot.
1: offshoot. Mm Mm-hmm. A segue? No, a tangent? A segway, no, oh, uh,
0: tangent? segway no. might be the right one. Because this is still vaguely finne- connected. And I thought, just for fun, and because it is connected to this story, I'd talk a little bit about fairies in Scottish folklore. Because <laughs> this please. is something I don't think we've done yet.
1: Uh, no, I don't think we have.
0: Just a, just a select few, because there's quite a lot of them, and a lot of them would make very good stories. Okay. So... Don't let all this talk of fairies lull you into a false sense of security, as you will find that these creatures aren't as kindly as you first may think. Chances are you're probably thinking of a pretty little creature with delicate wings flitting about the place, granting wishes, and generally just being the epitome of loveliness. Well, here in Scotland, fairies won't think twice about attacking you, Or worse, should you cross them? They're not happy. (laughs) So fairies feature prominently in Scottish folklore and are largely considered protectors over the land. Each loch and hill has a name and therefore there will be a fairy protector over whatever area. They also have power over the elements and were often believed to be responsible if a harvest was poor or such like. Mm -hmm. Yes, And if you do dare to walk through a forest or rest by a secluded pool of water, be careful. For one must never let a fairy hear you call them a fairy. Oh. Oh, yes. They don't take kindly to this title and it's always for the best that you never test their wrath. Instead refer to them as the Fair Folk or something similar. Okay. They don't like being called the F word.
1: It's, it's offensive in many cultures. It's offensive in, in many, many cultures, yeah. I
0: agree. Yeah. So generally, they will stay out of humans' way, they being incredibly secretive, shy and sensitive, but as I say, some do have a temper if tested. But fear not... Because some do actually enjoy the company of humans, although we'll generally be knocking around when we're out of the way. So they don't mind being around us as long as we're not harassing them, which is fair, I feel. Relatable. (laughs) Relatable. So household spirits such as brownies or pixies will help with household tasks whilst humans are asleep and are generally quite friendly and mischievous should your paths ever cross with one. So see if you ever go up to bed at night and you come back down and there's a plate or a cup where it's not where you left it, you might have had a wee visitor.
1: Can I briefly tell you about a wild phenomenon that happened last night?
0: Absolutely you can. So
1: I went to put cat food in the the morning time feeder that I've got for the cats so that they can get fed at Mm -hmm. six o'clock in the morning. We've got this box that I put the cat food in, in my cupboard. And I reached into that box and there was no cat food left. So I then got a new box from the cupboard, took it down, got a new pouch, filled filled the, wee bo- the machine with the pouch and mm-hmm. left the box lying out for me to then refill that box this morning.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it up this
1: morning, went to put that cat food in the box and the box was full. <gasps> so yeah, but I swear to you, <laughs> i reached into the tub and there was no pouches in it so that's why i got the new box oh. down from the cupboard but this morning the box was full and matt said that yeah I did. That are. matt said i did that a couple of days for you to like i emptied all the boxes and filled up that yeah. box in the cupboard and i swear last night when i put my hand in there it was empty
0: <gasps> is that okay so it's either the victorian child or you've got a pixie that knocks around your house maybe it's There's both. two options here <laughs> This, Maybe they're pals Maybe they're working in tandem <laughs> Could be Just to wind you up Oh my Or a, God. Little,
1: or a little fairy in a Victorian
0: Outfit Oh, That would be cute You can't call them the F word Oh sorry Sorry about that <laughs> Should you go down to the woods today One might want to stay clear Of the gilly dew so, the Scottish Gaelic translates to mean dark-haired lad, and this is a spirit that one really shouldn't wish to meet. Known to be fiercely protective over his land, the gilly Doo might not think twice about using violence. It's great! Everything that's supernatural in this country wants to kill you.
1: <laughs> it's true. The gilly Doo is really most likely is. what I've got in the flat. If I've got anything, yeah. <laughs> it's gilly oh,
0: But don't worry though, because there are actually the occasional tales of him being good. And he does occasionally... There's a story of him helping a young girl that was lost in his land. And he guided her back out of the forest without hurting her. Which is nice. It's all we can ask for. Yeah. It's all we can ask for. So we also have the Kelpies. And now, you might automatically think of the big grand statues that were installed at Falkirk in 2014. But a word of warning, because this is something else you really don't want to meet. Because they ain't nice to you.
1: They'll buckaroo in your so, face.
0: They'll buckaroo in your face.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So Kelpies are creatures... Watch out. They're creatures of the water and will appear to you as either a dark grey or white horse looking lost. Take care to note their mane, however, as Kelpie's hair will often be dripping wet. They will entice you to ride on their back, but with one sole aim, however. Kelpies will ride straight into the water, dragging you down too to a watery grave. So don't go on a kelpie. Yeah. Don't go on a Kelpie. kelpie. And just to round things off, I had to put this in because I find it absolutely fascinating. And I will tell you for why in a moment but we're going to round off with a little chat about changelings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. So this is a belief, a belief that was treated as a real life possibility and not just a superstition, which is why I find it so fascinating. That fairies would leave their children in place of a human one, the real child, quote unquote, having been taken back to their land. So reasons for this switch vary in different interpretations of the folklore, ranging from fairies believing their children were better raised by humans to the abducted children being used as offerings to keep their world strong. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. (laughs) There is various interpretations of what happened to the human children. Okay that (laughs) ranged to like complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Wild. Okay. So people genuinely did think having a changeling child left in their crib was a possibility. They really genuinely did think that this would happen. And often parents would go to lengths in order to protect their baby. They would often leave offerings of milk on their doorstep for the fair folk and would often wrap a length of red thread around their child's wrist or leave it upon them as protection so they genuinely did try and stop this from happening and pal of the podcast sir walter scott (laughs) because we've never mentioned him before (laughs) writes in on the fairies of popular superstition and i quote when children happen to be sick and languish long in their malady so that they almost turn skeletons, the common people imagine that they are taken away, at least the substance, by spirits called fairies and the shadow left with them. So, at a particular season in summer, they leave them all night themselves, watching at a distance near this well. And this, they imagine, will either end or mend them. They say many more do recover than not. So basically, children that were either born sick or fell ill shortly after birth or were even perceived as being moody or particularly grumpy or if there was a slight change in temperament would more often than not be considered a changeling. Oh, God. As Scott writes, there was a belief that the changeling could be swapped for the real child... And again, this is depicted in Outlander, both in the first book and season of the TV adaptation. The heroine discovers a sickly child left in a tree, whereupon it is explained to her she, quote, must not interfere. It is later explained that the parents were watching nearby, waiting in hope that the fair folk would return their child. So that was a... that This was... I'm not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) This is a genuine historic belief in like Scottish folklore was that people would leave their children in places they believed fairies would frequent in the hope that their child would be swapped back for the real one that they believed that the fairies had taken away. I just can't... Yeah, and the thing is, as well, like, this is like 18th century beliefs. And I know that that's long ago, but it's also not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally.
0: We're not talking like sort of witch trial 1600s. We're talking like well into the 1700s. Yeah. I just find it wild it's just it's along along with the witchcraft thing yeah. i just find it crazy that these people legit would just leave their children out to die because they were convinced it was a fairy child
1: i mean that's so barmy. me
0: isn't it just crazy that thought that they genuinely believed that they genuinely believed that a slight change in temperament could mean that's a changeling that's not our baby we better go and see if we can get the real... Bananas. P- well. But this belief did have a sad re- reality to it. As chances are that these children were simply babies born with some kind of physical disability or perhaps some kind of deformity. So it's genuinely really, really sad. Because yeah. there was probably quite a lot of children that did, unfortunately, were su- succumb to that fate because of 18th century superstition, which Mm. is wild.
1: They probably all die of exposure and things just being popped outside.
0: Exactly. So, yeah, that's the very bleak folklore of Loch Lomond for you.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Well, that's one way to smash the illusion of what fairies are meant to do for us all.
0: Well, I just thought, it seems only fair that I warn you all That they'll cut you up if they're not happy with
1: you This is true
0: But yeah, I just found it really interesting That I knew vaguely that Because, again, I only ever knew Loch Lomond as like a party song Which is so weird considering the context in which it's written Yeah,
1: it's what's usually performed
0: Yeah, exactly But I did know that the chorus was referring to someday dying and coming back as a, in spirit form. But it wasn't until I looked into it and I saw the thing about the Battle of Culloden, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> 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 really? This is connected to the Jacobites as well?
1: Well, you'll be glad to know it's that my, my version of it that I did was very solemn and the whole thing was very sad.
0: Well, that's lovely because that means that you interpreted it I think as it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah.
0: And I would presume you weren't drunk when you were singing it.
1: Not even slightly.
0: Exactly. So that always makes a difference as well.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's such a good little song.
0: It's a it's a great tune. And don't get me wrong, the Run version is an absolute tune and a half. Yeah, it's and a banger. It's just... <laughs> it's great. I didn't
1: realise it was what it was about. I, I love our mythical history. It's so cool.
0: Our mythical history is quite literally immense there's so much of it so much of it and it was so it's really fascinating reading about it and just yeah it's so rich I don't think I realised
1: how rich it was I think one of the things is that Scotland as a whole had their superstitions and their folklore but then each individual region has its own folklore absolutely every island has its own folklore so you'll get different folklore depending on where you are so it does Mm. just go on forever and ever and ever
0: it really does it's just and i just find it so fascinating as well that our folklore is technically still passed down from generation to generation as it would have done previously
1: particularly
0: well, well like you're talking about the different areas of scotland have their own interpretations and or stories about our sort of mythology will get passed to other people who pass it to other people. And it's just, it's so cool. I just find it so cool. <laughs> I do love so, it. So, yeah. And I had to whack in the bit about changelings because I find it so fascinating. Horrible. Yeah, horrible. Because it, it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't a superstition. It was a belief. And there's a difference there. For and, sure. And, oh, I just find that really, really interesting.
1: As always, please pop along to our Instagram and our Facebook. Give us likes and follows there. We post all of our corresponding photos up there every week and it just gives you a nice little visual to go along with the story along with our Magic Hat Mondays where you can give your responses to our questions. Our We Love a Link Wednesdays, where we join links between different stories that we've told. And of course, Fun Fact Friday, where you will learn some kind of fun Scottish fact.
0: If you happen to have a question for the magical hat, if you either email us or message us it over, it will be written down on a little sheet of paper, folded up and go straight into the hat where it may feature on future episodes. Also, if you happen to own an Apple device, if you could head on over to that little purple logo of Apple Podcasts and leave us a little review, it would be much appreciated and helps us in the massive podcast algorithm of the world.
1: And thank you for listening to A Wee Bit Gothic.
0: What's that gothic?
1: A wee bit. Oh, you'll take the high